This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, race fans, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. Danny O'Dwyer here, coming at you live from beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, home of the world's most expensive Formula One race that I don't know anyone who's going to it. Uh, attempting to replace the irreplaceable uh, Drew Scanlon for one week, who is currently busy on assignment um, with work duties with uh, GDC, the Games Developer Conference, uh, hitting uh, the local, uh, apparently rain-soaked San Francisco. I wouldn't know because I'm... More than rain-soaked. I saw, like, wild winds blew in. Yeah. Uh, like, like ferries were aborting their run across the bay. Oh, no. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, significantly hazardous seas inside the bay. Yeah, I got a message from... That Rob Zachney, by the way, um, is, of course, here this week. Um, I got a message from my... Uh, the guy who uh, moved into the house we used to live in um, asking for help with the roof because apparently some of the roof came off. And I was like, what? What What happened? And he's like, this crazy storm's happening. So I was trying to like set him up with the person who owned the property. Um, but uh, it was it was like, I had no idea because we've been on a road trip, me and my wife and my kid, who may, by the way, especially if you're watching this on YouTube, walk past at some stage because I'm just we just arrived in Vegas. But um, we've been on the road for a few days, and last night we did the Grand Canyon. Um, have you ever done the Grand Canyon? No. It's exactly like you'd imagine. It's You get there, and it's kind of like, eh. <laughs> it's a big hole. It's big, it's big, like, I think if you were down in it, it would be amazing. But looking at it, it's, it's, it's crazy how big and how high and vast the whole thing is. But it's also like, it takes a long time to get there through through the desert, you know? It takes, like, hours with kids as well. It's like a little... <laughs> much yeah i've heard that like to make it worth it you kind of got to do some of like the canyon tours but like if you just drive up to like the the promontory that overlooks it eh. yeah so we mightn't have we were kind of like yeah. we, we kind of needed to do it because we're doing like basically phoenix to salt lake city and we're that's yeah. why we're vegas now but this huge snowstorm came in last night and we woke up and it was like i wouldn't say huge but it was like half a foot of snow everywhere um so my daughter loved it because just best thing ever. Free snowstorm on the road trip. She didn't didn't expect that. Um, but uh, yes, it, that is the that is basically a large, large preamble to apologize if my audio is not good this week. I did go to Best Buy and get this headset. Um, it makes me look like a pro gamer again. If you're watching on YouTube, <laughs> um, but uh, we're not here to talk about YouTube. We're here to talk about the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix that just happened. Jeddah. What a spectacle. Uh, before we do so, though, a massive shout out to all of our incredible um, title sponsors. My wife Sharon. Uh, Alex Medina, Kickaha of the Art, at Team Blackjack, Michael Maves, Gordy's Army, at Talking Autos, Olivia Evans, Ironstation.dev, TelemetryDeck.com, Drew Stewart, Bailey Foote, Abdullah Althani, Jason Chadwick, Abraham Getchell, Enzo and Ayrton, Octothorpe Bunny Crimes, Snakes, Alex Goucher, MVKB.com, I still have to click on that one, Circuit Demon, Troy Stamber, Umberto Roca, William Romph, Irvine Clinical Research, Lachlan the Madden Man, and of course, 
Jason Kelly. Happy St. Patrick's Day, by the way, uh, Rob, as well. Did you do anything for St. Patrick's Day? Uh, not really. I Well, I, actually, I How take it you. back. Uh, I watched people have fights in the parking lot. Oh, really? I watched, <laughs> uh, like, more police than I've seen in the time I've lived here just, like, take up stations along the main drag uh, <laughs> so that they could be, not so they could do anything, mind you, but just so that their mere presence could keep things to, like, a manageable level of decadence. Are you, where exactly are you? Without doxing uh, yourself I'm in, on the Yeah, no, I'm in, I'm in Lowell, Mass. Okay. Uh, so it's a, you know, small post-industrial city in, in Northern Mass. Okay. Uh, but does have a <laughs> reputation for being a bit uh, rough and tumble in some ways. But the big issue is the out-of-towners who come into the downtown to their, like, little pubs and just right. treat it like a oh. giant rec room. Okay, yeah. I, kind of like they do in Vegas. But Vegas is kind of set up for that. It's built for that. Yes, yeah. it's America's giant rec room. Um, I will say I saw at least three uh, big LED boards advertising the Grand Prix and saying grandstand package is now available. <laughs> Presumably, they are still available because they cost like 10 grand. <laughs> I I, I, that would be my I, assumption. I assume. Um, but I did get to drive down part of the track today, of course, the strip. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, where they probably didn't. Uh, celebrate St. Patrick's Day, at least not in the way they do back home, was uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So how about we head on down to Jeddah and uh, talk about the race before we jump into what is kind of a decent amount of post-race news, although much of it tied up to the race. Um, I watched the race hours later, so everything had sort of filtered through the various FIA systems required. Um, but it seemed like in real time it was a bit of a mess. But let's go all the, all the way back to qualifying. Um, obviously, there were some standout moments. Uh, Max having a drive shaft problem, sort of in a, in a way mirroring the trouble they had at Ferrari last week, which left Leclerc in a situation where regardless where he qualified, he was taking, was it a 10th place penalty? Uh, yeah, I, I want to say that because yeah. he started 12th. I don't think he would have been promoted. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and of course, uh, spoilers, he did uh, qualify in second. Um, Lando had a crash as well, sort of after talking up a bit about McLaren, saying that their, maybe the reception to what happened last, uh, the first race in Bahrain wasn't as serious. Like maybe McLaren were in a better spot than that. And then unfortunately, uh, bins it. Uh, Logan Sargent also had a lap deleted. That was his timed lap. And I'm not sure if he ended up setting a time in that session after the fact. So they had a bit of a tough one. Um, Oscar Piastri made it into Q3, though, which um, was a bit of a standout oh, as well. Yeah. yeah, not bad. So we're getting good. Uh, we're starting to get a good look at the some of the rookies um, as, a, as it all goes down. Uh, let's talk about qualifying, though. I guess let's actually talk about the starting grid just to clear things up a little bit more. Um, Sergio Perez did get pole position. Um, uh, you know, I'm not going to say because Max was uh, unable to, to set a time himself, but, uh, you know, obviously something to do with that. Um, Alonso coming in second. He got third in real time, but obviously got promoted when Leclerc got dropped down. George Russell in the Mercedes. What do you think about that? I mean... We'll talk a bit more about it in the race. Yeah. Uh, maybe not quite the the hunk of junk it, it was was shaping up to be, but again, uh, also clearly the third car at best on the grid. Right, but the best Mercedes by uh, quite a few number of uh, of positions here. Uh, Carlos signs in fourth, starts fourth. Uh, Lance Stroll, no, um, 
you know, he's no Fernando Alonso, but he still manages to put his one in fifth. Uh, Ocon's in sixth, Hamilton seventh, uh, Oscar Piastri gets promoted up to eighth, uh, Pierre Gasly in ninth, Nico Olkenberg in tenth, uh, Joe Guan Yu in eleventh, Leclerc in twelfth, as we mentioned, K Mag in thirteenth, again, once again, uh, qualified by his uh, new teammate, Valtteri Bottas in fourteenth, uh, Verstappen sits in fifteenth, so. If I'm right in remembering, he made it through Q1 and then had his issues in Q2. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda is in 16th, Albon 17th, Nick DeVries in 18th, uh, with Norris behind him and Sargent uh, warming up the rear there. Um, no other mad news prior to the race kicking off. Um, shall I throw it to myself for the first lap? <laughs> Yeah, that seems like a good idea. <laughs> I didn't watch any of the preamble of this one. Did you see any, actually? Did you see any grid walk or any any uh, of that stuff? I don't know how, no, how many people end up in Jeddah. Well, so the thing is ESPN doesn't show a lot of that oh, stuff. Right. Uh, ESPN has a very weak cut to the start of the race, and then we cut out. They don't... I feel like I'm I'm not seeing their full uh, Grand Prix morning uh, show that, that Sky runs. So that's... Um, you know, they, there's a lot of stuff they do for that, but I, I rarely get a chance to see it. Um, yeah, to that point, actually, I believe the um, uh, Rewant Ruia was the person waving the checkered flag at the end of the race, who was somebody I promised myself I would Google. He's probably incredibly famous somewhere in the world. I have never heard of him. So perhaps it's just a different uh, different uh, type of celebrity, different part of the world. So we don't know some of these folks. Um, anyway, uh, as they uh, as they get off... Well, we I guess there is one thing to say before the the lights went out. Fernando Alonso, the second driver this year to not park their car in the proper grid spot. This time he was too far to the left, which I this is the first time I've ever seen that happen, where somebody missed it sort of horizontally or something, laterally. Yeah, you know, actually, actually, after the race, when they're talking about the penalties uh, that were sort of incurred about this, Russell, I think, putting on his GPDA chief hat, uh, was saying that we can't really see the lines uh, when we roll up to these to in these cars. Like the our, our seating position is so low. He said it is incredibly difficult. Uh, it is incredibly difficult to see. We are sat so low, and to put some perspective on it, we only see the top four or five inches of the tire, so we cannot actually see the ground itself. We have these big, long yellow lines pointing out, but I cannot even see the yellow line, let alone the white lines determining your lateral position. So it is really, really tough. Uh, So that is why I think in this regard, we need to show a little bit more common sense. And Alonso, of course, because he's in grid spot two, doesn't even have the car in front of him to sort of eyeball perhaps where he's meant to be. Um, perhaps a wonder that uh, was a Carlos Sainz. I think it was. Oh no, it was actually Russell who was sitting behind him. Um, wasn't uh, wasn't in the wrong spot. Um, yes. So uh, lights out and away they went. Uh, Alonso, regardless of his grid position issue, ended up uh, getting ahead of um, uh, Sergio pretty much right away. Um, there was also an issue. I think it was Oscar Piastri ended up losing his front wing in that little melee was it on turn three yeah so he he went i don't i looked at it it may have been a slightly it's the start of a race you know where are you gonna go but he got stuck on the inside of one yeah and you know how like there's a fair bit of room off to the left through one but it narrows it like cuts back in as you make the other part of the chicane and he got completely squeezed by gasly there 
Um, no, I'm not sure Gasly actually knew he was there until it was too late. But uh, yeah, either way, Pia- uh, Piastri had his his wing busted off. Uh, it, you know, by the time he was he was clear of two. I felt bad for him because we always look at rookies at the starts of races and see how they do. And like you said, I don't really feel like this was much of his fault. It was just kind of, you know, it's a tight track, and like you said, he got caught between a bunch of different pe- people. Um, a lot. So what else happened? Uh, Piastri ended up pitting at the end of that first lap Norris much. also hit debris yes on that same and I'm wondering was it Piastri's was it bits of Piastri's car it, it had to be he 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 hit it I think on the ensuing straight but maybe there's still some stuff coming off Piastri's car uh by that point I don't know there was numerous but, times in this race where there clearly was pieces of carbon fiber in the track and people even during one of the, the safety car where people didn't seem to be even talking about it on the radio maybe we just weren't getting those broadcasts um Norris didn't come in for his front wing until um, uh, lap three so I don't know if that was an issue yeah. if he did collect something on the way or if he hit somebody um, but obviously not great for Piastri or him because this was a one stop race basically so both of them Leclerc got off, off to a strategy. great start he he threaded uh, Joe and Hulkenberg were the two spots in front of him and he did the total video game thing of like <laughs> you just point your car between them and floor yeah. it and like <laughs> sailed through before they could really he could, they could really react. So he picked up some. He made up some good ground, uh, you know, right there at the start. The thing that caught me out is Verstappen started carving through the field very quickly later in the race. But actually, his first lap, yeah, uh, really, like until DRS was activated, he was keeping his nose so clean. Yes, he was backing out of like there were points where you if it looked like maybe he could have attacked, didn't. Uh, he was not going to do anything until basically it was like a lock uh, with, with DRS on the start finish straight. And it basically uh, which, was know, it, then, right? That, that, I think that's yep. something we'll probably talk about a lot is the Red Bull DRS um, supercharge is really something to be uh, to behold. It's just the amount of, I don't know what's going on with that rear wing, but it's just able to gobble up. I think it was, I forget what they, they threw out a number. It was an extra, I don't know, 16 miles an hour or something over everyone else on a straight one side open. But like you said, Verstappen took his time to get up there by lap three. He was in 13th. Um, uh, Perez passed Alonso in turn one, basically once the DRS window opened in uh, turn four, Alonso, or sorry, on lap four, Alonso didn't uh, contest at all that much, which I think is uh, understandable. By lap seven, uh, Leclerc is past Gasly to eight, and Verstappen has made it all the way to 11th. Um, by lap nine, Leclerc is passing Hamilton into seven. So both of them are making their way up. Verstappen is now into ninth by lap 10, uh, getting past Pierre Gasly, another one, another person he's got some uh, some history uh, with. Um, at this stage, we hear the radio message on uh, 11 from Perez saying front right is a concern, which I think may have been a reference to, it looked like he locked it up. Um, was it on lap one? I want to say, I think it was when he was trying to defend against Alonso, um, that front right tire. Um, although it doesn't, I don't think it actually ends up rearing much of a uh, turning back up later on during that race. No. Uh, lap twelve, Verstappen once again. It's, part of this race is very much the Verstappen watch. Um, he gets past Lewis Hamilton into eighth again, making it really easy. And then we start to see the first of the the pits coming in: Hulkenberg and Joe. Um, Leclerc gets past Ocon on the next lap into seventh. That's lap 13. Uh, at this stage, Alonso's delighted. He's saying the tires feel good. We can keep this going. Um, signs, pits, or he's on mediums. He's pitting. Or he says he's going to pit, but then he fakes him out and Stroll comes in. What did you think of that? Because he didn't end up pitting for two more laps and it ended up being one of the best uh, strategy calls of the day. 
Yeah, they're saying this sort of signaled that the overcut was the was was the play here for for this race. Uh, Stroll. Some cars didn't seem happy on the hards. Um, Strolls didn't, and maybe that would have eased if he'd been able to keep racing. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But Hamilton was also saying from the start that yes. uh, he felt the hards were were not a good tire. Though it seemed like a lot of people who went to hards early didn't struggle with them. Uh, I didn't hear a lot of ongoing no. chatter about the hards underperforming. So maybe it was just like with a fully fully uh, laden cars that the hards really started, you started to really feel that lack of uh, mechanical grip. Yeah, I was almost waiting for it after Hamilton had been sort of complaining about them so much. Um, but like you said, yeah, maybe just a different a situation with track temperature, a bit more or less, a bit less fuel on the tire. Um, or maybe Hamilton's struggling a bit at the moment. We'll sort of talk a little bit about that later. Um, Science does pit on lap 16th and then comes out ahead of Stroll. As you said, the overcut, we talk about the undercut a lot, which is when you pit ahead of the car that you were sort of fighting with um, in an attempt, uh, the car that you were behind um, in an attempt so to jump them once they pit, that you've made enough time up. The overcut is basically the opposite of that. Somebody else pits and then you push, push, push hard and attempt to uh, get past them. And because of the way the... Um, the new tires are working and the sort of relative difficulty it is in getting those new tires up to temperature, the overcut we saw last year a couple of times, but definitely in Jetta is a massive advantage. Uh, there's a couple of bit more interesting bits, about. there's a kind of a bit of a um, jiggery-pokery when it comes to people pitting and folks in and out of position here. Uh, Leclerc pits, Verstappen gets into fourth, but he's not pitted yet. Ocon then eventually pits. Leclerc, who's now in eighth, also comes out ahead of Stroll. So he also did the overcut a couple of laps later. Well, so this is the thing. A lot there was a lot of like, wow, the overcut's really working, and Stroll really got uh, done done dirty by that, <laughs> that pit strategy. The Stroll just but he bad. was losing power. No, right. he was losing power. Right? Yeah, you're right. Uh, so the, the 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 comment he made after the race was that like uh, for several laps before this retirement that happened, I think on seventeen. Uh, he was he was feeling just the power going away on the car, and I will say I watched some of his in car, uh, you know, before we b- before we casted, and like from fairly early in the race, they seem to be doing slightly more like mode management that I'm used to seeing uh, mm. early early in the race, as if there is something that they are seeing that they're like, you know, one of those like early indicator lights maybe that something's not right, but uh, but either way, they seem to be tweaking a lot of stuff. And then, uh, yeah, like at some point, I think lap 17, uh, we get the message like, let's stop the car. Uh, stop the car right now. And I had wondered if it was tied to, you know, on the on the grid, on the starting grid, smoke was pouring off his tires. Um, yeah, oh, you're right. Yes, before the lights car, went out, his brakes were, yeah. And then when time. they stopped it, the 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 track workers started hosing him down with extinguisher on the on the brakes. But apparently it was a power unit issue. So presumably then it was just the minute they stopped the car, the brakes uh, sparked up again. Okay, and they were they were suppressing them. But uh, the other thing that's a bit bit odd here is that Stroll nurses the car uh, into basically a runoff area. Parks his car at one of those like breaks in the track wall, uh, where you know you can just pull the car through. It still brings out the safety car, yeah. Um, and so it turns into a lot of a lot of cheap stops for a lot of people, but it's also a godsend to Fernando, right? Because at this point, he has received the word that he had that uh starting procedure violation, and initially, you know, the stroll stopped literally like. 
three seconds uh, before Alonzo is at the pit <laughs> entrance. And by the time he learns the stroll stopped, he's past it. It's the worst possible timing. Yeah. But it didn't seem to matter that much because everyone got such a safety car slowdown that he yeah. was still in a nice little pocket where he could he could take a, a cheap stop. Um, and yet it was still maybe not. Uh, it, it, they, they still found a way to make it almost cost quite a bit more. Yeah, it, it kind of went to, it was the, op- it's usually, like, if, if there was a scenario in which Stroll had pitted and Alonso was the first one to come in and Stroll had put the car on a part of the track that really necessitated a safety car, we'd all oh be talking God. with conspiracy, like Crashgate 2.0. He's done it again. You know what I mean? <laughs> the yeah. But because, like, in fairness, I felt bad for, it ended up working out for them, but you're, like you said... Lance did a great job of putting it where he needed to put it. It's actually tricky. It's probably the only part of that section you can you can get out there um, without causing a safety car, to my knowledge. I don't think, because the rest of it's too windy. Um, and then, like you said, yeah, it was worse for Alonso. But huge amount of people coming into the pits in all manner of different orders and different laps. It was very strange. Albon, De Vries, Russell, Perez, uh, Verstappen come in. Alonso does. Then eventually uh, uh, Hamilton does as well. Um, Norris does like two laps later. Like like during the safety car base, basically and ends up in last. I'm not sure what Norris has probably ha- he's easily done more pit stops than anyone else this year because last year he did or last week he did five in the first race. Um, there was a bit of um, uh, frustration between uh, who was it, it was um, whoever was behind Hamilton. Oh, it was um, Leclerc. His engineer said push between the safety car lines. Hamilton starts pitting. Um, which obviously means that there are two safety car lines in the start-finish straight. You don't have to abide by the speed trap rule there. You can just push as fast as you want. Um, and he hadn't told him that because Hamilton was basically going to undercut him, essentially. Um, and then um, <clears throat> Leclerc says, Zavi, you need to tell me that before. So another window into the um, communication errors, perhaps, over Ferrari. Or maybe the director just knows we're going to talk about it if it's Ferrari and they they let us hear that stuff. I don't know. Uh, lap 21, green flag. Um, Ocon gets past Gasly. Um, we have a lot of two-by-twos here. Alpine, Haas, and Williams, two-by-two-by-two two two, all the way down. Um, lap 22, uh, speaking of, Hamilton gets past Gasly. Um, I have a note here saying that the Mercedes hit some debris. That was some of the stuff that was left over. I don't know. Was that from the in- initial issue at the start of the race? Um, by lap 23 the DRS is open and Verstappen goes on a hunt again he gets pr- past Russell uh, doesn't even wait until the final turn he does it on the penultimate straight which is pretty impressive uh, Verstappen then on lap 25 gets past Alonso into second place um, uh, Albon shouts oh my god brake failure which is maybe the most dramatic uh, call of the race it wasn't brake failure but obviously he was having a bit more travel on the brakes I think um, did not. I don't know. I mean, he was driving as if he just didn't trust that he had brakes, right? Because he was like sort of coasting right. over chicanes, um, and he stayed out. He didn't go in right away. They were, I guess, troubleshooting it. But yeah, he uh, was like off racing line and just kind of like uh, coasting home uh, for like a lap and a half. Uh, there's a couple of little fun battles happening here, um, kind of all over the place. But there's an interesting one between. Um, Sergeant and Hulkenberg, which ended up going on for uh, much of the rest of the uh, race. 
Uh, Leclerc is also quite frustrated at this period for being behind Carlos Sainz. He thinks he's got the pace. He's definitely got the tire at this stage um, and a little bit frustrated that he's not getting past. Sainz having a bit of a, you know, slow day, I think. He didn't really seem to... I don't know if he's not a street circuit guy. I, I, I can't pick that one out of my head. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's... They just weren't getting. They weren't like they weren't getting up on the Mercedes. I think might also be the the key issue. Mm. Uh, so I I don't know. It's like was he having like Leclerc is always going to think I, I have pace in hand. Let me through. Uh, but I you know would he have been able to make a mark on the Mercedes as you know as he hoped? I I don't know. Uh, I guess speaking of which, how did what did you make of how things played out at Mercedes? Because to me it seemed cut and dried that with Hamilton on a medium and Russell on a hard that you were just going to swap them and let Hamilton do whatever he could on that tire. And that was certainly Mercedes initial plan, but Russell kind of backed them off yeah. and said, uh, well, I haven't even been pushing. Let me, let me take a crack at Alonzo. And he didn't come close. <laughs> like it was... but, he did, in fact, but he did like create like a six second gap between him and Lewis, which he kept. That was the thing. You know. Like, Hamilton was right there in DRS zone. Did Russell use up the last of Hamilton's tires, not letting him through? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I, it it was the first moment I was like, oh, we're we're out of the whole, like, Lewis is one of my heroes. He's just such a great teammate and guy. I love him. <laughs> uh, we are now in the, like, hey, let me drive my race. And in fairness, if, you know, this isn't a, uh, a vibes-based industry, but there's a lot more positivity on Russell's side of the garage. He is out-qualifying. I mean, he is racing very well. Like, the, the talent of George <clears throat> Russell is, I don't think anyone questions it. You know what I mean? Like, people question a lot of the talent across the grid, especially with some of the drivers who were prodigies who are now sort of in year four or whatever. You know, it's kind of put up or shut up time. And Russell's cool. always been great. And, and Russell doesn't have to beat Hamilton. He can let time beat Hamilton. <laughs> right. I think is I think is the other thing. So he can be like, and I think this is yeah. There's like, no pressure. You know, You're right. to do it. Right. Yeah. And I think it's also going to allow him to play the team differently because Hamilton had like we talked about this last week. He's frustrated. He wants like things to turn around fast. Russell does too, but he's also he has the luxury of being like, but I'm just here to support the team and I'm I'm Mister Easy Going. But either way, this was kind of the. If Hamilton had had more pace and had pressed the issue, I think this would have been more eye-popping in terms of how it played out. The fact that Hamilton could not hold on to the, the uh, to, to Russell's spoiler, effectively, meant that the issue was kind of mooted. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's not the only piece of team orders or team uh, fracas we're going to have to talk about today. Um, speaking of which, uh, Verstappen freaking out about his drive shaft issue at speed, which is a particularly specific complaint to have. Um, but he knows a lot more about Formula One cars than I do. Um, it ended up not being something that caused a lot of issues, I don't think, especially regarding how he took the last couple of laps of the race. But again, it was one of those things where we're all sort of on tenterhooks as a, as a result of it. The same with Perez complaining about his long brake pedal. Sometimes I do wonder if, you know, because we're getting this selective team radio, do we get team radio that helps to drive the story of the race and is not maybe, you know, if Logan Sargent's complaining about his drive shaft, are we hearing about that or are they going to play that stuff up? Um, 
I guess it's kind of impossible to tell. Uh, lap 42, Nick DeVries gets past Logan Sargent. Good battle of the uh, rookies going on there. So the thing that really caught my eye there is that he really sort of bullied Sar- uh, Sargent aside. Like, just put the elbows out, like, move over. And Sargent was pushed so far out that he was out, out of position, offline, getting a bad exit out of the corner. Norris seems like he could have just gone through. Yeah. And the McLaren doesn't have the horses to go through. Mm. And that was, that was like, maybe the clearest moment i've had of like how deficient that car is yeah because you could not ask for like like sergeant was cooked like there's you know he like he, he couldn't have defended it uh you know and norris had nothing uh you know in in the tank to to deal with that opportunity yeah um they were especially poor on drs as well you could really see it there um uh we'll talk a little bit more about that later uh at this stage, we're at sort of lap 43, 44. Perez isn't sure about what's going on in terms of, you know, is he keeping the position? Max is behind him. Um, are they racing? Is he free to push? They're giving him sector times. I think they're saying like certain time plus four. And he's like, well, why do I need to do that? Can I not? What What are you telling Max? Um, as it stands at this stage, Perez will deny uh, during this race. If Perez wins, he'll deny Max the... 16 out of 21 record, which has never been beaten. Um, the ability, any driver, any one driver to get 16 wins out of 21. Uh, both Max and Schum- Michael Schumacher at this stage have the 15 races out of 20, which is the current uh, record. Um, so, you know, I'm sure many people won't care about that, but I bet Joss Verstappen knows <laughs> all about that and is probably not very happy about it. I, I think, you know, there was a lot of discussion about the because Max goes from being very concerned about his potential drive shaft issue to suddenly being like, "Hey, wait, what's uh, what's fastest lap? I just, I just, I want to know." And they didn't want to tell him. And I think, I think the Red Bull pit wall. My yeah. my read on all of this was the Red Bull pit wall wanted to bag the one and two. They didn't want anybody pushing for anything, and they kept trying to give guidance to the drivers. Like, hey, here's the target time to set that isn't going to take anything out of the car. Make the best choice. It's like when you tell your kids, you say, like, here's three meal options, and one of them's chocolate, you know, fucking cake, and you're like, make the the healthy choice. And they go, well, no, I'm going to, this is what I want. But, like, Ripple ended up having to do, like, kind of damage control over this because Verstappen's messages were, were clearly, like, you know, they, they they were telling him, we don't care about fastest lap. And I think he quite fairly said, but I do. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, certainly his, his right as someone who is, you know, we don't know what the championship fight is going to end up looking like. And Perez came out of this feeling a bit ill-used by, you know, his feeling was they didn't tell him until very late, but they did tell him by the end, you know what, we're taking our hands off the tiller. Everyone can do what they want. They did say that when he had time to set a fastest lap. Oh, really? Okay. They didn't give him a target. Uh, so I think, you know, Perez came out of this feeling a bit misled or or ill-informed, and I think Horner had to do some damage control, basically saying there's no controversy, there's no real friction. It's just like this is this is how things played out. And fundamentally, I think that's true. I think the drivers end up feeling more raw about this weekend than the team. Uh, and the team is just kind of dealing with the vagaries of racing. Max, you know, was handed a car that failed in quali and yep. he had to do a recovery drive. And after the race, he sort of said pretty frankly, and this quote was taken out of context. You know, he, he said like good result for the team, but I'm not happy. 
the full quote was like much less incendiary where he was like, you know, I like the full quote was basically I came here. I think I would have won if I'd had a car that was working through the through qualifying. Yeah. And I'm not happy that I had to do like a recovery drive uh, to end up in this position. And again, like, is it the most graceful thing in the world? Maybe not, but it is a fair reaction. I think as as the years have gone on, I have learned to sort of, if nothing else, um, appreciate his starkness. Like he doesn't, he tells it the way he sees it. He doesn't, you know, BS or, or anything. He gives his honest opinion. And, um, you know, given where they ended up, I don't think anyone would say otherwise, you know, like he drove his the, the car off its wheels. And obviously for St- or Perez didn't have much of a battle with Alonso. So maybe his true pace was different, but you know, um, Perez is good at street circuits, though. So that's the other thing as well. Like this is a circuit yeah. there where he's going to push it to the limit. Um, uh, last thing I'll say, like toward the yeah. end of the race, Piastri and Norris uh, had a bit of a duel. Uh, yeah, I've got a couple and, of little bits here. There was the there was yeah. Magnussen got past Yuki on forty six just when you were saying that that part where Verstappen was complaining about the fastest lap. Um, he did it on nine lap older tires as well, which I think is worth mentioning. Um, and around the time we had this Piastri and Lando um, sort of fracas where they were told not to fight, we also got word from Russell's engineer about the Fernando Alonso penalty that might come down. Um, before we talk about Piastri and Lando, I want to ask you about this because my sense when I heard this was, okay, if you're going to get a penalty for somebody touching the car, which is something we're all during the during the five second uh, stop penalty or five second penalty that he got on his pit stop, where no one's allowed to touch the car for five seconds, five second penalty served, touch the car. We're all very familiar with this because the exact same thing happened in the first race with um, Esteban Ocon. Um, in that scenario, he was told within a couple of laps that there might be a penalty. The thing that I felt in real time was. You can't do that now. You can't do that 30 laps later. Uh, what was your feeling about that? So I, I had, when, when, the, when, he, when he served the stop, I saw the Jackman, and I was like, too. did he touch? Oh, yeah. Yes. Like, it, like on it, the, the rear camera angle, like, it looked like they were too close for comfort. And so I was not really surprised to hear that come under closer review, probably because the FIA had those... Uh, my guess is they had the overhead cams mm. uh, as as well. They could sort of see what was what was going on, and so I, like I am certainly. I think people love gener- like. I think a lot of F one media runs on uh, outrage press about like oh, yeah. shoddy stewarding and like what a what a joke of a podium what a what what a, what an absurd situation that. <laughs> Yeah, look, a million things happen during a race. They have to be adjudicated. It got cleaned up within, like, you know, an hour or two of the podium. Like, I'm not going to sweat it. They run 23 of these things a year. Uh, So, like, I just don't... I could not get exercised about it. Now, I did feel like... it, Like, it did feel so shitty to have... Alonzo's race be kneecapped like that uh, via a penalty that was like the definition of ticky-tacky. Like, literally, it's ticky-tacky because all the guy did it was like just the barest whisper of contact uh, between, you know, the, the mechanic and the car, which is different than the Ocon situation because that was a situation where their timer was calibrated incorrectly and they started servicing the car early. This was just a they got in a position wrong and they didn't really, like, gain an advantage from it. But also my reaction is, 
Stop just trying to save. Just don't touch the car. Yeah. Don't just do don't it. do it. Don't just you, don't you, do you, it. You compare this to like endurance <laughs> racing and like the way they serve these things is you pull into a little penalty area at the end of the pits. <laughs> right. And like guy stands there with a stopwatch. Dude, and yeah. you aren't hurrying. You aren't hurrying that that course worker at all. Like maybe it'll be five seconds, or maybe like you'll get you know a late reaction. Sure. Didn't they? So I feel like like ten, fifteen years ago. My, my, I'm. A, this might be a Streisand effect thing, but didn't they used to have stop go penalties where you weren't allowed to touch the car? Where you just well, that's still that's still a penalty. I, Right, so right. the stop go is different from the five second penalty. Yeah. Uh, but, but they so do, like, they tend not to give them anymore or something. Like I haven't, I feel like I haven't seen. Yeah, one it's in kind of, it's kind of like the nuclear option <laughs> right. in terms of like uh, in race punishment. I do I do feel like in the nineties you saw a lot more stop and goes. Uh, so they've it does ruin they, your they've race. Taking steps to like, yeah to get that out of there. But yeah, so my, my reaction was this seems disproportionate but i wasn't like totally surprised yeah. i was glad the penalty ended up being vacated don't touch the car it's the same mentality that we have when people are like do you want to come in for a new set of tires so you can set a fastest lap at the end of the race you're like well do you really want to do that because right it's the risk reward thing yeah. it's like if you like to save that tenth of a second uh you know getting into position after you served your penalty there is a chance you end up costing yourself like another Five seconds plus whatever uh, the pit delta is at that track. Like it just seems disproportionate. Uh, if I'm if I'm teams, instead of like complaining about the officiating quite so much, I would probably just have my guys stand off maybe at a extra pace. <laughs> stand two feet away from the car. Don't even look at it. Um, and then yes, lap forty eight, Piastro. Sorry, Piastro. God, that's what we call it. It's like Bienifer. Piastro boy. <laughs> you know, Bienifer. Uh, yeah, Piastro. Uh, Piastri is let past Alonso? Yeah. Oh, sorry, they uh, Lando? To, they, let, they, they tell let Lando to let him through, which is another moment of like, Lando's going to burn that garage down. <laughs> like, I mean, he's in like what? This is like 18 for 19 or something? Or? No, but this is the point. Is they're like, hey, Lando, could you let the kid go have a shot and and work on work on his race this craft? Two laps before uh, the end of the to, race as well. We should mention. yeah, let, let him go fight with Sergeant. Let the let the two rookies fight. And Lando has been like the leader of this team for a while. Like he is career off this great start. Like he was a peer of Russell's. Russell's now driving up at the front with Mercedes, and Lando's in a team that used to be really really good, and now it's like he's. Helping run a daycare. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Not to be overly dramatic about it. Can I, can I ask you one thing, Rob? What do you yeah. think? How do you think Danny Ricardo's feeling right now? Oh, man. It's got to be... Uh, there's got to be some schadenfreude, right? Like, there's there's got to be some, like, I, I relief you, or something. Shit. Yeah, like... Now, now everyone's back in 20th. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, not just me. Um. So, yeah, bit of a bit of a shame for them at the end of the lap you know or end of the race we're talking about mclaren's um the doldrums being overhyped maybe last week it didn't really show that to be the case during oh the also race. said this so remember they tell alonzo hey it'd be cool if you had a five second plus difference between yes. you and russell you're right and he just pulled it out russell was like giving everything he had to try to like claw into within five seconds and alonzo was just like okay and like immediately like got the exact like Alonzo's ability to dial up exactly what is required at the moment is kind of eerie when you see it 
unleashed. Yeah, it's something else. Also says how good that car is, though. That he's just like comfortably driving around with a lot of performance in his pocket. There's a lot of people comfortably driving around in very good cars. One of them is Max Verstappen, who comfortably sets the fastest lap on lap 50. As we talked about it, Russell ends the race uh, 5.1 seconds behind Alonso, who gets his 100th podium behind Max Verstappen. And, of course, your race winner, the man who loves street circuits, Sergio Perez. Um, Piastri did get past Logan Sargent. It wasn't shown on television, I don't think, but right there at the end, um, which was still good, uh, or which was something uh, special for him, I'm sure. Um, And then Verstappen, in getting that fastest lap, denies Sergio Perez, much like Perez denied him that, you know, made-up, 15 out of 16 out of 21, who cares, I guess, um, uh, statistic. Uh, he denied Sergio Perez a chance to be the first Mexican driver to be leading a Formula One world championship in something like 70 years. Um, for now. For, well, yes, that is definitely the the story of this year. If We'll see how long it lasts, but um, that's how they ended up. The final race result standings here, like we said, Sergio Perez in first, Max Verstappen second, Fernando Alonso in third, George Russell fourth, uh, Hamilton in fifth, Sainz in sixth, so a decent run by Hamilton in the end, um, Leclerc in seventh, Esteban Ocon in eighth, Pierre Gasly ninth, Magnus in tenth, uh, had a much better final sort of a quarter of the race, ended up getting past that train of Zoe, Hülkenberg and Sonoda. Eleventh uh, was Sonoda, twelve was Hülkenberg, thirteenth Joe, fourteen Nick de Vries. Uh, leading the rookies here, Piastri in 15th, Logan Sargent 16th, sorry to call you a rookie, Lando Norris in 17th, Valtteri Bottas just had a real stinker, a lap down, uh, takes 18th position, and Alexander Albon, who I think I might have forgot to mention, did not finish the race, and uh, Lance Stroll, who obviously had a DNF as well. Um, uh, it was the 27th lap, I want to say, uh, that Albon uh, ended up hitting his car, and that was the Jetta Grand Prix. Um, we do standings. Check it. Yeah. Check where everyone is. I guess we should. I'm no juice. I'm no juice Scanlon. I'm doing my best. Uh, I drove. There's a lot of there's a lot of this that it's like, oh, the, the car drives itself now. Drew drives it. Exa- yeah, exactly. It's it's hard to put on the boots every now and again. Um, I did five hours of driving myself. I woke up. We went to the Grand Canyon, like I said, and then I had like ninety minutes of snow uh, to get out of the Grand Canyon. I didn't know it could snow at the Grand Canyon. In March, but apparently that's how it works. And uh, I also did have dinner at the Rainforest Cafe, and I had a Mai Tai, so that's probably also contributing to this um, somehow. Um, driver standings, Max Verstappen leading by a single point. He's in first position with 44 points. Perez behind him with 43. Fernando Alonso in third position with 20 points. Carlos Sainz, tw- uh, joint fourth with uh, Lewis Hamilton with 20. George Russell has six, or sorry, 18 points in sixth. Lance Stroll in seventh with eight points. Charles Leclerc in eighth with six. Valtteri Bottas and Ocon sharing ninth with four and with Pierre Gasly. Apologies, Pierre. K-Mag and Albon have a single point and Sonoda, Hulkenberg, Sergeant Joe, De Vries, Piastri and Nars have a goose egg, but it's only been two races and it's a 23 lap lap 23 race season uh, just to take a quick look at the constructors championships to no one's surprise red bull already running away with it with 87 points aston martin with 38 and second mercedes with 38 sorry 
they are joint. Uh, well, race race positions uh, will will obviously give them third, but uh, also with thirty eight uh, points, Mercedes, Ferrari in fourth with twenty six, Alpine are in fifth with eight, Alfa Romeo in sixth with four, Haas and Williams have a point apiece, and AlphaTauri and McLaren have a goose egg. Rob, should we talk about the, what happened after the race with regards to Alonso, or maybe it was Russell's podium? Uh, yeah, so the big thing is, you know, Alonso goes on the podium, and then immediately after, he is handed the penalty, and Russell's given the podium, and Russell and Alonso, the trophy. <laughs> yeah, like like apparently, literally, like, hey, we need to give that, you need to give that hardware uh, over to us, <laughs> we can give it to Russell, and Russell and Alonso uh, both give very, like, I heart you, bro, uh, quotes to each other, like, Alonso's like, this sucks, because, like, George deserved to be on that podium, uh, you know, if he's going to get the position, he should have gotten the podium, he should have gotten his moment, and Russell's like, I don't think I should have gotten it, you know, it's all a bit disproportionate, but the real kicker to all of this is, uh, so, you know, and this is why, again, I'm not that irritated by these things taking a moment to shake out because there's an appeals process and in that appeals process uh aston shows up with a ton of videos <laughs> of jack's touching cars uh while serving while serving penalties and so the faa is like well clearly then this is how people expected it to be working we thought there was an understanding that nothing could touch the car uh that was the basis of the original ruling clearly that's not been the case ergo uh we're gonna vacate the penalty and restore alonzo and the whole thing was wrapped up by like 1 a.m local mm. uh and then they will issue further clarification about what the actual rules are here uh later so we can you know, uh, I, I, I we'll we'll see what the what the settlement is is there. Uh, my my guess is they'll want to remove what what ambiguity remains in in this role. Yeah, you can go into detail on this one. There was a there was there was a you know if you want to, but like you said, it's, it's a lot of it is in the detail. There was there was a what was it? There was an understanding that they had a drivers meeting in relation to this sporting guideline that you're not supposed to touch the car, but that yeah. was like you said the jack thing apparently. Well, so the stewards ruled on like there's a sporting advisory committee meeting that the stewards thought it had ruled one way. Yes. But to quote the wire, it's the other way. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, we'll, you know, we'll see. But it was it was clearly a bit of a, um, you know, a lack of alignment between the stewards and what the team's understanding Mm. of what this role actually is. Um, Yeah. And so. That you know, the Alonzo thing got got cleaned up pretty fast. Uh, the present Verstappen fastest lap rate kind of covered. Uh, you know, each each driver feels a little bit came out of this feeling a little bit uh, distrustful. Mm. The thing I'd say is like Perez over the radio and in the post race, he does seem like a guy. He seems a little hunted, uh, and it it just reminds me of like Red Bull's a place I think that breeds paranoia. And, and he, and it must be challenging as well, being somebody who is, you know, fighting for the moment for the championship, but in a organization that is very much set for the other driver, who is also a two-time world champion. So it must be like an awkward situation, you know what I mean, for them in yeah. some way. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you know, ultimately, uh, Sergio's going like Sergio's gonna have to do it on track. Yeah, like I, I yeah, do think yeah. if he can show that he's like, hey, I can bring it to Max and I can uh, win this championship, I do think 
the inclination at Red Bull is like let them fight. Uh, I mean, and I know that everyone has believed that Red Bull is in the tank for Verstappen, and I tend to believe that too. Except this is a team where it is in their DNA to let Seb Vettel and Mark Webber, yeah, almost annihilate a cha- a championship lock. Uh, because they are feuding so intensively. And they let Ricardo and Max go at each other pretty hard before Ricardo uh, pulled the ripcord. Mm. So, like, my, like my feeling is if Checo can, like, show in a straight fight that he can take the Max, he will get maybe not equal treatment, but, like, close enough to let him have a viable title challenge. Which I think would be great. Uh, you know, great for Verstappen as yeah. well. But obviously, who amongst us wouldn't love to see Checo... You know when he when he won that race in I think was it Bahrain yeah. was it when he kept his uh, yeah that was the I think it was the when they called the Sakir right where it was, yes you're uh, right the other yeah. configuration yeah but yeah that was that was a masterpiece of a drive but yeah my my feeling is like a drive like this is nice but it ain't gonna do it uh, Max was uh, you know was hobbled by a bad qualifying session and the mechanical issue so you know to be continued as yeah. to how this plays out absolutely. Uh, other bits of news. This just cracked me up. Uh, Fran, speaking of Red Bull and like just motivational <laughs> strategies, uh, Franz, Franz Tost before the race was talking about like performance upgrades uh, that are being promised for this for the somewhat underwhelming AlphaTauri, and he just unloaded on his engineers. Uh, he you know he's talking about like you know things are bad in Bahrain maybe it'll be a little bit be- better in in uh in Saudi Arabia but then he says the engineers are telling me that we'll make some good progress but I don't trust them anymore I just want to see the lap time because this is the only thing which counts and I guess like one of the reporters sort of goes like wait do you do you really mean that and he doubles down he says during the winter months they told me the car is fantastic we've made big progress then we come to Bahrain and we are nowhere what should I say and I love it. Like Franz Franz Tost always seems to me like the most. Uh, he's the grumpy neighbor of the paddock, or something. Yeah, and he's just a real sicko for racing. Like this, this oh, is you're right. Yeah. said. Like any moment we're not running races for me is like a I don't care. moment just wasted yeah. uh, in in a life. And so he just like fires from the hip like this. Uh, you know, it's it's so funny if you think about like the Codemasters games where it's like you know which uh, which department <laughs> do you big up after this? Like always be nice about your various departments. And here's Franz Toss being like they're all a bunch of liars. They're full of shit. They don't know anything about this car. <laughs> And it's like unfireable. He'll do whatever he wants. Yeah, I want Franz Tost mode in the next uh, next F one game. Um, speaking of, uh, I don't know if there's acrimony here, but Hamilton did split with his uh, with his trainer, who we're used to seeing a lot of the times um, in the post race and pre race stuff, right? Yeah, uh, you know he's been with Angela Cullen for for ages. Uh, she's the woman that would always sort of be at his side uh, in the car after the races. Uh, performance coach, uh, position I've always sort of imagined being a combination like therapist and also like personal trainer. Mm. Uh, but they released statements right before Jetta that they were parting ways, and it was the standard like you know wishing you all the best on your next journey, and it was very. You know, it's the messages you expect when a long-time partnership breaks up. It wasn't clear as to what had happened, but then Toto 
gives an interview where he's asked about this change, and he just says, I think in every team, whether that is uh, his close circle or also in a wider group, that is not a static situation that you can freeze because we all develop as people. We develop as an organization, and if things don't work out anymore, then we need to be honest about it and then bring change. Angela will always be a mascot of the team. She's the only one who has a louder voice than uh, a starting car, but if this is what Hamilton decides, we will always absolutely support him whatever direction he wants to take. It's like Toto pouring gasoline on a fire that's not actually on fire yet. We didn't. It's it's like Toto. We didn't need to know that it was no. Hamilton's decision. Yeah. I think like we're, we're good. Nobody's nobody's asking Toto. Stop. Hamilton and Colin went out of their way to make like to not say yeah. whose decision it was, and Toto's like, yeah. I mean, obviously he fired her. That's also, <laughs> also, did you call this woman one a mascot and also? Say that she was the only thing that was the only thing that was louder than her was the car. I don't know if that. No, Toto, what are you saying? I don't know. I don't know if this joshing is the the right note, but I think the big thing is lost in translation. Uh, it, it it just did sort of seem like he confirmed that this was a decision coming from Hamilton uh, mm-hmm. and maybe less mutual than it seemed. But the other thing I, I would say is this: is um, you know, I mean, look, as anyone who's like you know, worked with a therapist for a while or worked in therapy for a while, eventually you have to fire a therapist. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because you're like, we've gone on a journey. Like, there's nothing more that I'm really getting out of this. We are repeating sort of the same beats, same lessons. Like, I need a different different angle on whatever my issues are. Uh, And the other thing that occurred to me, too, is like, you know, seven years is a long time. The season is longer and more grueling than it's ever been. She has kids. Like, it would not surprise me if there were moments, like, if there's just sort of a growing sense that this was just not sustainable mm. uh, for what they both wanted out of this. Uh, you know, it's it's seven years is a shocking amount of stability in the F1 world. And if, you know, if you've got kids who are growing up uh, at home, I, I would imagine there is a point where the whole, like, I'm going to fly around the world for 23 races a year from, like, spring till winter. Uh, I imagine that gets a lot harder. It, it is the number one reason veterans of the sport retire i it seems to be is people missing that family life worrying why their kids aren't uh, or seeing their kids growing up um and also perhaps it's a big reason why many of the drivers don't like hamilton for instance you know what i mean like as i don't know what is if he's partnered at the moment but obviously it's very difficult especially if you're determined in the sports to to live those two lives um sort of fully or authentically um i mean it's it's definitely like an, it's kind of alarming in the way that like this is someone that you just associate with being sort of a pillar of whatever team Lewis Hamilton means. Yeah, uh, you know she is sort of the captain of that squad, and for her to sort of be dismissed or leave or whatever does kind of again in the midst of all the other signs that he's kind of unhappy with where things yeah. are at and the team's kind of in crisis. It does sort of feel like. My my first reaction, like having said all this, like there's a lot of like extenuating circumstances. I see how you get here. My immediate reaction was like, oh, so it's like Angela's leaving bad over at Mercedes, right? Like, yeah, second exactly. And this isn't like it's a mid season. It's not a preseason thing. This is a two races into the into the one race, <laughs> arguably into the the season thing. Um, so. Much of that news I had come across. The next one, which we have the most information on, I'm completely uh, going in blank on, I believe. Rob, what is what is going on with Haas yeah, and Russia? So, 
let's put on our uh, big allegedly and uh, like think about slander laws as we as we discuss this. Just assume uh, the next Haas segment is entirely alleged. So uh, PBS. Uh, so okay, here's here's some some groundwork. So when it comes to exporting stuff abroad, uh, there's kind of two conventions in U.S. law. There's ITAR and EAR. Uh, ITAR is for weapons uh, exports, and EAR is for like civil stuff, uh, export administration regulations, and that's the sort of stuff that 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 Haas, uh, you know, machine tools would, and Haas automation stuff would, would fall under. Okay. Where shipping stuff uh, that is classified under these uh, frameworks requires getting export licenses in compliance with these rules. Now, crucially, and this is like foundational just to how EAR works, uh, they anticipate that people might do a thing where they export to a legit partner and then it gets re-exported from that destination somewhere else. Right. And so foundational that law is like re-exporting. That's not a like if it goes to a second location, you still need an export license for that. that it's like, like I've it's, I've watched Lord of War. You can't just send the bullets to Italy and then have them send to Egypt from there. You need to yeah. Right. It, this is this is very much the thing where it's like no, if like you sent it to to a first party and then they turn around and give it to the second party, like it's still on you to make sure that uh, export license is in compliance with uh, the the law. So, in addition to that, uh, you know, from back from 2014 when things really kick up in Ukraine, there were a lot of sanctions uh, that were sort of narrowly targeting parts of uh, like basically individuals who were in Putin's clique and then also like direct military and oil industry stuff uh, for for Russia back in 2014. When the invasion began in 2022, things actually got a lot simpler. Uh, basically doing business at all with Russia uh, became like effectively illegal. Like right. uh, I was talking to uh, Matthew Galt, who is a like national security and military affairs reporter over at Motherboard Advice about this. And he's like, it, you know, he's like, basically you can follow the McDonald's uh, rule of like international trade where like if, it, if McDonald's pulls out of a country, because like they can't comply with the law because like having franchises there that means that you can't be there either so like, yeah it's like is, they, it's not the canary in the coal mine they're they're the last thing that sort of can hold yep. out as it were okay the minute, minute a company like that is like okay we're, we're bouncing wow okay uh that means like that you're there's just no there's just no way that you're gonna get business done here so you know, in, in 2022, uh, you know, one of the th ways that these sanctions are carried out is the Bureau of Industry and Security is constantly adding companies and people to what's called the entity list. Okay. Where they're identifying now companies, individuals tied to a like sanctioned uh, nation where if you were working with any of these people, in addition to the ear stuff I mentioned above, there's going to be additional requirements you have to satisfy uh, for like export licenses. Hint, they're basically going to be unsatisfiable and you're just not going to be able to do anything. So that's been the status quo for about a year. Last week, PBS NewsHour uh, released a story basically based on the fact that Ukraine's Economic Security Council filed a report, like a whistleblower report, to the U.S. Treasury Department, which oversees uh, broadly all these all these things, accusing Haas of making direct shipments to Russia uh, in contravention of the sanctions. And when you're just to clarify, when we're talking about Haas, we're not talking about the Formula One team. We're talking about the parent company that does 
all manner of different motorsport and engineering operations. And in this case, it's much more the the engineering stuff. Like okay. if you know, if you look up Haas Automation, I think we were. I was losing my mind over a video about this last year. They have like really advanced uh, CNC yes. like fabrication <laughs> machines, which, which and we such. which we often reference in our preseason primers as funny because they are one of the teams who buys most of their equipment, even though arguably what they do is make a lot of. I know yeah, it's not ha- like Haas for F1. like. But Haas F1 can't afford Haas automation. Stuff, yeah, okay, uh, fair. I think is the is the rule here. But uh, so this this whistleblower, because the Ukraine Ukraine's uh, Economic Security Council, I guess, is like more of a watchdog group than an official body. But so they had tipped Treasury uh, to the fact that by trawling like Russian data, uh, they found like. Russian government disclosures, same way that we have our own disclosures, saying like you know there's publicly available information about like how the bureaucracies are working. Uh, they found evidence that Haas's partner in uh, Russia and Belarus, Abomet Management, was sending Haas equipment to Russian manufacturers uh, that are on these sanctions lists, and Haas you know, has denied that is true. They sort of said we, we obviously stopped all uh, shipments the minute the war broke out and the, the sanctions were applied. But NewsHour, went out, like, NewsHour said that they looked at customs records and those, those records show that shipments continued for months after the invasion began. Hmm. Uh, you know, in the transcript of the, show, the segment they ran, uh, they counted 18 shipments made to Russia directly from Haas uh, worth $2.8 million from March 4th through October of last year. Mind you, these are not, like, Haas is not the only company caught up in this. Uh, Siemens and DMG Mori, uh, a, I think, German and Japanese, uh, like, like precision tools companies, uh, were also implicated in this. Haas has, uh, you know, issued a very stern denial uh, that any of this is true. They, they sort of said that, uh, you know, they terminated their relationship entirely uh, with this this company uh, Abomet, and since uh, you know since March third, they have not shipped anything to this partner or anyone else in Russia, and the PBS report is in error. So that's kind of that's kind of where things stand. But I like we don't know what happened here. Uh, like my assumption would be NewsHour is a pretty established organization. They would not have said. Uh, that they saw shipments through October, unless they saw pretty compelling evidence mm-hmm. that there was. Uh, but you know, Haas obviously uh, you know denies this, and you know, presumably, if this if there's some smoke here, this will eventually be the sort of thing that you you end up with a day in court. Uh, and yeah. the penalties are pretty severe. Like, yeah, I was, I was about to ask, like, what, what does the sort of the the you know the day in court? The, there's the court of public opinion, obviously, and there's there's issues of you know how we, we morality of, of of anything. You know, this is fairly deep in the grains of international trade we're talking about here. So it's not exactly like a like a like a pop star playing at a gig somewhere where maybe people wouldn't be happy. But there's obviously an, an element of that. But yeah, in terms of like financial penalties, which presumably is where a lot of this comes down, and maybe some sort of legal retribution for individuals what what's likely because i i assume a lot of this stuff is fairly you know written into law yeah i have no idea what's likely because i don't think there have been that many cases brought on this stuff but uh so the thing is unlike a lot of regulations where there's kind of an assumption that like if a company does something wrong but like it you know it's a gray area you don't hit them that hard etc 
sanctioned stuff is different. Uh, that you know, if you did stuff in good faith, but based on a misunderstanding of the law, um, that's still on you. And so, mm. like the the sanction stuff tends to be a little more hard hitting. The you know, the, it's it you, you kind of got to prove more innocence than just like ignorance uh, when it comes to that. But like the penalties can like go up to a million dollars per violation. And I don't know what like does violation mean one shipment or does it mean for like every single item that mm. Haas shipped to Russia allegedly? Would they be on the hook for a million dollars? Uh, and in the case of individuals involved, um, it can bring bring a pretty healthy prison sentence, like twenty years. Uh, okay. So, and then there's other penalties and sanctions that you can that you can be rung up for as well. And obviously, like <clears throat> federal prosecutors, uh, these are all tools in the kit of federal prosecutors to sort of like deal effectively when you're when you're hashing out like what a settlement is going to look like. Uh, but yeah, this is like to me. This looks like a pretty serious situation for Haas. Like, obviously, it's it's early days. Uh, maybe maybe there's a completely unfounded accusation based on some misunderstood uh, documents coming out of Russia. But if if there's something to this, then my expectation would be that uh, Haas and like Haas Automation and Gene Haas are in uh, some fairly hot water. All right, we'll wait and see. Perhaps a lot of this will happen behind closed doors, if, especially if the DOJ oh. gets involved and all that. Oh, sorry, go on. I remember, uh, I believe Gene Haas actually did, like, he got convicted of tax fraud uh, back in, like, 2007. Oh, really? Uh, so, like, it would not be the first time that, like, Haas has run afoul of some regulations. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, similar in a way, I imagine tax law is to sanction law where there isn't much black and white when it comes to um, whether or not you did the right thing. And they certainly don't um, apply penalties in a, in a gray matter uh, either. Uh, Rob, thank you very much for the continuing. Haas just keeps it. This isn't as sexy as the rich energy st- stuff, but Haas continues to give us sort of extracurricular news for us to enjoy. Well, I, think I think this is often the case. Like it's, it's maybe not as sexy, but it's way more important. Yes, right? like true. This, like this is a they got they got conned by a snake oil salesman. Uh, this is like our sort of industry leading equipment has ended up uh, like fueling arms industries on both well, sides of a major war. Well, that's the issue because the implication is that some of the stuff that's being used here is, of course, being used to create, um, you know, um, issue, you know, arm, perhaps not armaments in particular, but perhaps it also maybe allegedly, allegedly, allegedly also. Um, uh, other things for the war effort. Um, yes, we'll keep an eye on that one. Absolutely. Uh, is that all the news we have this week? Decent amount there? Uh, yeah, it is. Awesome. Terrific. Thank you, Rob. Um, I couldn't do much news prep this week because I was driving through the beautiful Arizona. Have you ever done any road trips yourself? Any any, any cross-country or, or, you know, East Coast? You no, know, I mean, not... We've done moves. Uh, oh, we've yeah. We've done a couple, like... You know, driving from East Coast to Chicago for the holidays, but n- never quite the like. Let's throw everything in the car and go see this great land. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been enjoying it um, uh, uh, for these past few weeks. Also, got me out of GDC, which I, <laughs> was a complete nice. accident. Actually, uh, if you would like to live in the wonderful world of fantasy, but not this beautiful country, but the country of fantasy. <laughs> 
Formula One. <laughs> I miss Drew. Do you? I miss Drew. He does so much better at this. You can head over to our Shift F1 Fantasy League. Uh, the link uh, in the, there's a link in the show notes to our league. You can put the code in there. Um, I did not do very well this week either. We are at Shift F1 Podcast on Twitter and apparently on Mastodon. I'm at Danny Dwyer. He's Rob Zachney. Send Drew a message. Say at Drew Scanlon. Hey, what's up? Come back to the show. The guys really need you. Um, that's everything for this week. I did forget the book last week, even though I was home. And here I am on the road with the book. Do we need to race around the world first? We do, we do, but I did not have the time to prepare race around the world. We are, we are not racing around the world. First. All right. Okay. <laughs> hey, there might be some races this weekend. You should look up whatever is your favorite racing series. And Oh, by the way, uh, if you haven't if you haven't watched the 12 Hours of Sebring, you should at least watch yes. the last two hours of the 12 Hours of Sebring. Or maybe the last 90 minutes because like, things go bonkers. Oh, really? Uh, they, great night racing uh action and then it all ends in tears uh where it becomes the the classic like how many cars are actually going to finish this race oh terrific yeah oh wow okay real endurance racing hours of like uh who is going to be left standing uh once once the dust clears excellent uh we would have had race around the world but the hotel we checked into after driving out of the blizzard the hotel we checked into uh our, there was like water damage in our room so they had to rebook us to another hotel um so between that and my four-year-old having been stuck in a car for five hours i was on the edge of panic attack and went you know what race around the world can, can wait but the book is here so let's read something from march 22nd uh, in the history of formula one March 22nd, Nigel Mansell took a victory in the Mexican Grand Prix today in 1992 to make it two wins out of two for the mustachioed Englishman. As was the case for most of this season, there was no one to touch Mansell in his Williams-Renault and uh, he was followed home by his teammate Ricardo Patrese for another Williams 1-2 in the last Mexican Grand Prix to date i'm not sure i don't know when this book was written that's not true a young michael schumacher provided the only slight challenge to the williams in his benetton ford when he finished third it was his first podium finish in formula one there you go we're talking about fernando alonso getting his 100 which he did after it was handed to george and then handed back to fernando um and michael schumacher there getting his first on another beautiful March day. Uh, the next Formula One race is on two weeks from now. Um, it is in Australia. It feels. It still feels weird to have Australia three races in. Um, Very weird. The first year they did that was the pandemic year, wasn't it? Because it was at it was at Melbourne because in, they, well they canceled they canceled Australia, it, like, yeah. while they were there. Yeah, that was the last. That was it. We had we had um, we had. I feel like the thing that's really triggered this change is they they don't do testing at Jerez anymore. You're right. So you're right. the minute they moved testing to Bahrain, uh, then it was just kind of a twofer. Yeah, it made sense, I guess, to do it there. They just love racing at Bahrain or Sakir or whatever. They'll just keep renaming it and race there or testing. It doesn't. Let's go back to Bahrain. It's I mean, great, I love it. It's a great it's a good it's, track. It is a great track. Yeah. I, I like it a, a lot. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I, I dig it. But it does feel very weird that the season is not opening at uh you know, Melbourne. Yeah. Your final thoughts on the race. Jed, obviously we talked about it last week. It's a, it's a, a track that, you know, seems to produce exciting races, uh, perhaps maybe not the most exciting race craft, but also one that, you know, can perhaps be quite dangerous as well. We didn't see much in the way of danger over the course of the, the entire week. Uh, but what did you, what did you make of it? Yeah. I mean, it was, 
it was an interesting race in the midfield, uh, you know, but mostly in terms of how strategy was going to pl- play out. Uh, not the most, not the most dynamic race in in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, I'm, I think right now the thing that I'm finding a little frustrating is between mechanical difficulties and just like stuff uh, going wrong for for various teams. We're not getting a lot of like the shuffling of the table that makes for a lot of interesting racing. Like I like I really wonder like what happens if Stroll's car doesn't go out? Uh, you know, is he in the middle of mixing up with the Mercedes, mm. uh, for instance? Uh, you know, that's if if uh, Leclerc doesn't have to take that engine penalty because the engine fails in the first race, is he in a position to have like more interesting battles? Uh, you know, in in this in this race, it, it felt like a, a race where like kind of everything conspired against a lot of dramatic on track action and I'm hoping that we start seeing a little more uh, interleaving of the of the teams uh, in the running order. Yeah, looking forward to seeing that in Melbourne of course with the, uh, the that new track as well um, nice and wide some good opportunities for for some DRS especially at Red Bull um, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes the official discord and much more you can use over at patreon.com slash shift F1 have a great race weekend everyone we will see you all next time meow